0: In the name of Jesus, amen. I usually pray before the sermon, but today I listen to you sing. The are very good singers. Thank you for that. That was tremendous. Uh, it's the first Sunday in Advent. I mentioned that. Uh, first Sunday of the church's new year. Everything decked out in blue. At least one of the explanations for that is it's the blue is the color of hope. Uh, maybe it's the, the sky is blue that... We're called to lift our eyes off of everything down here, our belly buttons and everything else, and up to the the heavens, the skies from which our Lord comes. Which of course you you may know that's what Advent means, comes, He comes, maybe even better. it's a, he comes toward, or, or best of all, he, he comes down. So we think of an advent that uh, our God is a God who comes down. I once had a, a professor, a teacher who came into the, the classroom, um, without saying a word, and just wrote in the chalkboard a big, a big downward arrow and said, Friends, that's the gospel. That's Christianity. That we have a God who comes down, doesn't ask us to raise ourselves up to Him, but comes down in a crib and onto a cross, comes down in word and, and bread and wine, will one day come in the glo- clouds. Our God is the God who comes down, who advents. I, I thought too that, that maybe it'd be good, uh, a good Christian symbol. Would be there's all sorts of crosses, you know, to just have a cross with a downward arrow on the bottom would be a, a good new symbol. And so I looked it up, and it turns out it's already taken um, by a heavy metal band called the Pretty Reckless on their front of their album called Going to Hell. <laughs> yeah, but, so but since I'm pretty sure they mean something different, um, maybe not, who knows, but some different than what we Christians we can we can think of that that symbol, the cross with the downward arrow, the God who who comes down and our muck, our sin, our worries, whatever? Comes to be with us. Uh, well, today, today, the first Sunday in Advent, uh, we always uh, concentrate—at least the, the gospel lesson usually does—on the, the the third of Jesus coming. You know, He came, cross and crypt and, and crib, and He, he comes, word and, and sacrament. But then He comes; He is coming. That He's coming again, and that's of course what we get in Luke chapter 21. Jesus speaking to his disciples, uh, they will see the Son of Man, that is himself, coming in the cloud with power and in great glory. And we Christians do, of course, look for that. We look to that. And in many of our our liturgies, we we pray for that. We say, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. It's pretty much the last word of the whole scriptures. Come, Jesus, come, come quickly. Uh, But the funny thing about that uh, gospel lesson, not just that the wrong one was printed in the bulletin, um, the funny thing about that gospel lesson is it's really not so much about uh, Jesus second coming, as we say per se, at least not any specifics about uh, timing or, or anything like that that it's more about. It's more about all the things that, that Jesus says will be happening, that will go on, that the world, Christians and everyone else will experience before He comes, and then how how Christians. How we people of God who, who look to the God who has come, who comes, and who is coming uh, might posture ourselves. Uh, we're going to respond to all those, all those things going on. Uh, things going on which are, are detailed in some pretty weird language. You probably caught that. Um, signs in the sun and moon, stars, the earth in distress of nations. This is verses 25 and 6 of Luke 21, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, which is some pretty crazy images. And I have to, uh, I don't know if the word, but I have to, uh, to tell you I'm not exactly sure what to make specifically of all those Images. Are we are we to take them as as a kind of literal depiction that Jesus is saying these things will happen when you see these things happen or, or maybe maybe it's that Jesus first hearers especially would have understood that he was what he was saying that he was using more picturesque language that he was using uh, uh, pictures of things that would have been familiar from other texts to describe more of a mood. To think of things in general, so there would be something like this, that to say that the sun and the moon, um, are are, are there's signs in the sun and the moon, or that the earth is shaking, that that would be saying something like all the things that you're most certain of, the things that you, you thought you could count on, like the earth standing firm beneath your feet. Maybe some of you actually lived through a real earthquake. How terrifying that must be, especially if you don't expect it. Or the, the sun rising, the stars being in the sky where they're supposed to be. The things you thought you could count on, those things begin shaking. So it's kind of this language of saying, everything's in a tizzy. And again, I'm not positive that's exactly how we should take these words from Jesus. But at least it's something, it's something we can make sense of. So Jesus says, in the time before his return, everyone's perplexed. What in the world is going on? <laughs> What's God up to in this? People fainting with fear and foreboding uh, with what is coming. What in the world could possibly happen next? What is the next shoe to fall? Is this virus going to kill us all, or is everything we do in response to it going to kill everything worth living for? The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, things which are supposed to be certain. Governments, uh, a currency, churches, families. The young people these days, you read recently how young couples are having fewer children than ever, and one of the main reasons they give for that is because they're just plain terrified of what the world will be like, the kind of world they'd be bringing children into, and just say, no thanks. And then there's CRT, and the PTA, and the GOP, and the DNC, and the CDC, and the GNP, which probably issues in in you with one big IDK, and if you didn't have time to make a a sense of all those acronyms because I went through them so quickly, that was the point because the idea is it all comes at you so quickly. You don't have time to respond. You figure out uh, your old phone and you memorize your passwords then you get a message you need a new one and new ones. (laughs) Just when you thought you had a handle on the day's news and figured out what words to use where and in whose company to avoid being branded a bigot, you blink... And the world's on to new news and on to new words. Everything's a moving target. Shaking, moving, what, is, what do I do? How do I respond? Everything firm, shaking. And then Jesus gives a couple answers, answers to that. <laughs> At least I think that's what, they, that's what they are. And one of them he says, what posture to adopt in the midst of all these things that Jesus calls somewhat understatedly these things, <laughs> the shaking perplexity, the fear of what's coming next. The first one Jesus describes is not so good. It actually comes second in the text. But he says, watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life. Uh, Three responses that we might paraphrase as get worried, get wasted, and get distracted. (laughs) Which is the go-to response when the crazy is coming at you really, really fast? For example... Guess what went through the roof? The sales of what went through the roof when COVID first hit? Right. Gun sales, alcohol sales, and Amazon sales. So get worried, more bullets. Uh, Get wasted, more gin. Get distracted, more boxes, more stuff from Amazon. But then Jesus has another option. He says, when you... I can imagine looking right at his disciples in the eyes, but when you, when you see these things, when you see these things, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Everyone else is counting bullets, emptying bottles and waiting for the next box. But you, people of God, stand up straight, raise your head, raise your voice, sing a song. And why? Because you see Deeper because you know better, because you've seen Jesus, because you know this Jesus who has come, who is coming again. You know, in a way, it's weird how Jesus, he does this all the time. He takes these like a, a, a judo move in the way we'd usually deal with the news and get all terrified by it. But he says when you see all these horrible things happening which are truly scary and perplexing and you don't know how to respond, instead of, you know, you know bullets, boxes, and booze, he says straighten up because that itself in a weird way, preaches the gospel to you, says to you, something more is coming, this is supposed to pass away. It's like maybe when I was a little kid, I'd look down at my tattered tennis shoes and the, there's a hole in the bottom of them and the, the, the treads are all worn off. And that's no good, it's no fun. You slip all, slide all over the place. But the wise young man would say, well, that's a sign that new tennis shoes are coming. <laughs> It's about time. Or maybe, you know, you wake up for breakfast and all this laughter, the crumbs of the cornflakes and the box, like, oh man, that's all I get. And it just turns this mush of milk and stuff. But the wise child says that must mean that a, a grocery store run is coming. There's soon to be fresh fruit flakes or uh, fruit, loops, <laughs> fruit, flakes, yeah, fruit loops and fruit flakes, the fruit loops and uh, and fruity pebbles and those sorts of things it becomes a sign that what is to come. I sometimes have a conversation like this with um, usually with older people. I'm sick. Maybe even people who know they're dying, whose bodies are falling apart in uh, in ways that they would really wish they were not falling apart. And somewhere in the conversation I bring it up or oftentimes they do about how hard it is about bodies falling apart and having to rely on other people and how that's harder for some than others. But how that body's falling apart and having to rely on other people is itself a way of God telling you something. God's way of finally making you listen to what you may have chosen not to listen to before, what you already know, that you're not in control, that to live at all is to depend on other people, and that these bodies, they must die to be remade. So when your body stops working the way you'd like, no fun, and things that maybe aren't supposed to shake, you know, the world's shaking, what parts of your body that are starting to shake that aren't supposed to shake, and you can't count on the limbs working the way that they once did, sure things. Instead of bullets, booze, and boxes, relax. Raise your head. Raise a song because your redemption is drawing near. Uh, a friend of mine at a our little weekly pastors or monthly pastors, uh, uh, Tony from Cornerstone Community Church, we were talking about this as pastors. All the, not this particular text, but there's, you know the, all the crazy stuff going on in the world, all the acronyms, and you could add your stuff. And even reading something, I think he got it from a. Um, Oh, I know he got it from another book, another book, but he, he brought it up. Um, he said, we pastors need to be, a, are called to be a non-anxious presence. A non-anxious presence. You know what he meant, rather than, you know, adding your polemical voice in response to everything going on, there's obviously a place for that. So maybe the most Christian thing you can do is be a non-anxious presence. I suppose that goes for, for pastors, but as much for them as for the Christians in general. In the midst of everything else going on, not exactly sure what is certain, you're perplexed, a uh, people passing out in fear because they don't know what's, what's coming next. Maybe instead of offering our, a vocal response, our own polemical response or whatever, maybe our version of stand up and raise your head is to sit down and relax. <laughs> Other folks out getting wasted and racking up debt, but then there's this little group of people who gather in buildings like this on a on a Sunday morning to to pray and and make music and support one another? Not because they're oblivious to the realities going on, but because they know a bigger reality. Because they know a God who's come, who comes, and who is coming, who promises that, who promises to set everything right. Who, because they know that, they just keep going on. They keep they keep making music even. I've got to use this story especially because, you know, we have the, the strings players here today to kind of finish up. Maybe some of you have heard it. Um, uh, some years ago, uh, the great the great uh, violinist Yitzhak Perlman, you know, you've heard of him, he's performing a concert. He's obviously a huge name, a big draw, big venue, big bucks, big expectations. And so early on in the concert, he's up there, you know, by himself, or maybe he's got the orchestra behind him, I don't know. But early on in the concert, he's playing along and he busts a string, twang, (laughs) Um, Busts a string, goes flying off. Everyone knows it. But here's the thing. He doesn't fret. He remains calm. More than that, he doesn't even stop. He plays the rest of the entire concert on three strings. Which I'm assuming is not easy to do. <laughs> so he plays there's four strings usually. So he plays the rest of the concert on, on three strings. And not just plays, he plays masterfully at the end. Has this rousing applause, standing ovation, and all that. And then in the Q and A after, maybe it was the press or something like that. Someone asks and says, "Mr. Perlman, when you broke that string, when you broke that string, you didn't stop. You know, you could have gotten another instrument or started over or something like that. But but you kept going. You kept going." Why? And the master replied, Because, sir, our task is to make music with whatever remains. Isn't that beautiful? Our task is to make music with whatever remains. When everything's shaking, when everything's falling apart, when strings are flying off your violin too quickly for you to fix them, what do you do? Do you say, quick, booze, bullets, boxes? No. Keep playing. Our task is to make music with what? Eventually, for most of us, as those we love fall asleep in Jesus, our task is to make music with whoever remains. For us, because we know that Jesus came, he comes, and is coming, we know that whatever music we make with whatever and whoever remains is a prelude To that fully restored orchestra with angels and archangels and the whole company of music and music and instruments beyond our imagining. We make music with what remains. So for now, even if you only got one string left, making that music calm, non anxious music. That might be the most Christian thing you can do. Advent's a crazy time, but the world's a crazy time right now. Maybe the most Christian thing you do, the most powerful Christian witness you can make right now is to just be that, to just remain calm. So whether your strings are breaking breaking or all broken, you remain calm, you stand up, raise your head, sing a song, for your redemption is drawing near. In the name of the Father and the Son,